It's Sal Capaccio. Filling up right behind the Bills bench right now with their flags and their hey, 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 hey. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go Buffalo Channel. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Let's go. WGR Sports Radio 550. It's 12.01 in the p.m. I'm Corey Griswold, TJ Luckman here as well at Sports Talk Saturday. Sal Capaccio will be joining us shortly. He is arriving back in Buffalo from the Detroit. He will be joining us on the Worcester Hotline when he is able to. Uh, we expect him in this segment. We will stay flexible. And if he does not get to us this segment or in the next set, if he gets to us next segment, we will keep playing the open until he calls in. Those are the rules. So we are going to go through those Sal Opens. That's Them's the breaks. I'll play every single one I have Absol- if I have to. We will go through the system, and we will find them. We know how to do it. Uh, 803-0550 is the telephone number, 1-888-552-550. I remember those numbers from 15 years ago. They have not changed. Uh, talking uh, with you about all sorts of sports. Um, there's the preseason uh, is that uh, there's also Premier League Premier League getting started today if you are so inclined to talk about uh, soccer you can uh, there's um, baseball as well if you'd like to talk about baseball we are available to take uh, any of your thoughts uh, that might be floating around inside of your head you got a home improvement project that maybe you might be doing uh, we can uh, we can talk you through that uh, YouTube is very helpful for that. There's all sorts of videos you can see about fixing stuff inside the home. It's fantastic. Uh, all of those things uh, ready for you uh, here uh, on uh, Sports Radio 550. You talked to Pat Malacaro la- uh, last hour. You can uh, hear that uh, on our Odyssey app, if you would like, talking about the Bisons being back in town, uh, talking uh, about uh, the Bisons in general, and basically how tough of a year it's been basically talking about how tough a year it's been for the Bisons um, with them playing in Trenton and then coming back to Buffalo and all sorts of stuff like that. So we will have that for you. We expect to have uh, Sal Capaccio with us um, in a couple of minutes here. So he just checked in with us. We will have him uh, for you doing all sorts of stuff, talking about Buffalo Bills football. Um, I was watching the Bills, yes, for not even necessarily for Mitch Trubisky, really. Um I mean, it's important that he knows how the how the plays go. But if Mitch Trubisky is starting games for the Bills, the Bills are in trouble. That's the fact. So that's great. But there were other things to keep in mind with the Bills as well. And it's honestly like the guys on the defensive line, really, I wanted to see how they were going to do. There was Greg Rousseau. Uh, there was Basham, uh, who was interesting, along with, like, the other guys they just have, like Harrison Phillips, like um, A.J. Epineza, like, uh, uh, you know, just the dudes on the team at Oliver, the dudes on the team who are there and we're all kind of like waiting a little bit. There's a lot of dudes on the defensive line where we are just waiting. Like, is somebody going to bust through? Is somebody going to take that spot? No one has taken that spot yet. There's Jerry Hughes, who you know, and that's it. There's Star Latule, who you know, and that's it. Other than that, is there anything else on that defensive line that you know? That you're like, yeah, him. He, we, I know that guy. He's there. Yeah, that's good. I don't think so. And, like, I th- I'm going to make a comparison to hockey. And I I'm, I'm apologize for talking about hockey in August. But, like, think about, like, when the Sabres would constantly change captains. And the reason you do that is because you don't have a captain. Like, if you just had a captain, you wouldn't have to have 15 guys wear the C. Like, you just have a captain. That's a captain. You're a captain. And even they would tell you that. Like, I remember, like, 
Jason Pominville being traded and going to Minnesota the first time. And he would just be like, yeah, it would sucked that they, we did that. It was really stupid. I can't believe they're still doing it. Um, like, yeah, if you have like a ton of guys who are like maybe on the defensive line, it's because you don't have a guy. So we're waiting for a guy on the defensive line. Is it somebody they drafted? Maybe they look tall and strong. Is it a guy they drafted previously? Maybe he looks tall and strong. That's all I got right now. Like ever, it's the NFL. Everybody's tall and strong. I'm not playing in the NFL. Like I don't play for the Jets. So like I'm not playing guard for them. So it's not like whoosh, thank goodness the Bills have these tall, strong dudes so they can absolutely wreck this 38 year old father of two who is playing guard at 195 pounds for the New York Jets. Like I'm not in that spot. So I'm assuming that the big strong dudes the Bills have will be playing against also other big strong dudes. I haven't spoken like this is usually Nate Geary's position when he goes and talks to everybody around the league about whatever is happening on their teams. Um a question I might have asked them is like do you have big strong dudes on your team? Do you have dudes like where everybody's like this dude's big, he's strong, like look out. And then the guy would be like, "Yeah, man, we got this guy there. He's big, he's strong, he's got arms. Can you believe it?" And it's like, "Great." I guess everybody's got those guys. So what is it that sets all these dudes apart? All these physical specimens that you have drafted and you have done well. It's how you use it. It's your instincts. It's your positioning. It's your technique. It is knowing how to engage with the guy across the field from you and how to make sure that you can get through them as cleanly as possible to engage with the quarterback who, or whoever has the football. Is your positioning right? Like all of these things that makes football football. It's not just some guy just running as hard as he can at where the quarterback is. It's all the subtleties of the sport, right? And I remember guys talking about this with Greg Rousseau in the offseason after the Bills had drafted him, it's like, we're not sure about his technique. It's his technique that maybe needs a little work. So it's these things, really, that are the focus of us. Uh, Sal Capaccio joining us on the Western Hotline, returning from Detroit, uh, working with uh, the Bills Radio Network there, uh, rejoining the sidelines. Sal, thanks for joining us here on a Saturday. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. It was good to be back on the road again. Yeah, I was going to say, this is your first time being on the sidelines in, what, a year and a half? Last game before last night was the Houston playoff game uh, at the end of 2019. Oh so, my, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, first, time, first time being, A, on a sideline because we couldn't do that at all, even at home games. First time being on the road at all uh, because we didn't travel last year due to uh, – uh, protocols. That's well. I'm I'm glad that you got a chance to do that again. I know that you enjoy doing that. This is what your ninth year, eighth year doing it. Eighth year on the sidelines. Ninth year on the uh, radio network broadcast. I actually helped Murph, Murph in the booth a little bit uh, that first year. And then uh, sidelines after that. So yeah, 2014 uh, was my first year, and um, yeah, it's it's pretty surreal to kind of get back to it again. It's awesome. Never take it for granted. It's a it's great. I love it as you noted and. Yeah, really excited to, you know, looking forward to another great season doing it again. I'll ask you I'll ask you real questions in a moment, but last night I was working uh, the game along with TJ, and when I heard John Murphy say my name as having worked on a Bills broadcast, right? And like ah. I like I was instantly transported to being a little kid and hearing him with Van Miller calling Bills games in the 90s and like that I will never not think that's awesome to hear my name associated with something that was so important to me. And I know like this is just kind of like me just having fun on the radio because when do I ever get to no. do this? But like, dude, that never gets old, dude. Right. So 
it's really awesome to think that way. And I think that that's one of the things, like, I always, no matter where I am, every stadium, every game, I, I literally, during the National Anthem, I'll stand there and I'll look around and say, I'm working in the NFL. Like, it's amazing to be a part of, you know, what we do. And for me, it's the same thing. You know, I grew up listening to Van and listening to John, and I remember I was taking a Greyhound bus back to Buffalo for, uh, for during the Super Bowl years. I was in college, and I would say, man, one day maybe I can work, uh, you know, do something like John Murphy, work with him, or listen to the games and say, how cool would it be to work uh, in the radio booth in some capacity? And here I am. He's my colleague. He's my radio broadcast partner, and I'm on the sidelines doing games with him. And, I mean, Steve Tasker last year, he was a, you know, NFL you know, Wall of Famer, should be in the Hall of Fame. Eric Wood now, who I covered, it, it is pretty amazing when you think in those terms. And I would say, like, you can never take it for granted, right? I mean, um, these are jobs that, you know, I know I wanted since I was a kid. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I love, and I'm very fortunate. Uh, you wrote a column going into last night's game talking about the three players that you were going to be cap- keeping an eye on. And you had uh, Jake Fromm, you had uh, Dane Jackson, and you had Isaiah McKenzie. So I will ask you about those three players in turn, and you can tell me what you saw. And we will start with Jake Fromm, who got a lot of playing time in the fourth quarter and uh, helped to engineer. Can we call it? It's the preseason. Can we say he engineered a drive? Can we say that that took place? Like, Sal, what did you see from Jake Fromm last night? Yeah, you know, I wasn't, like, super impressed. Like, he wasn't blowing me away or anything. But, you know, he stayed within himself. Uh, He had some protection issues. And then when the chips were down, he made the money throw. I mean, that, that was the biggest thing for Jake last night. He made the money throw when he had to. Uh, he hooked up with Marquez Stevenson, which was a great throw, a great route. Um, you know, they needed that throw. It's fourth and ten. They don't get that. The game is over. They lose. So, you know, good for him. He was able to get out there and make that big-time throw in that, that special situation. Otherwise, you know, I didn't think Jake was anything special good, but I don't think he made any ter- terrible mistakes. You know, they, I think they wanted to evaluate him throwing the football a little bit. I did think he showed more arm strength than I think people give him credit for. He threw a lot of those those outs towards the sideline that got there pretty quickly, and he was able to you know hook up with those guys. So I, I liked what he did in that regard. Yeah, because um, he hasn't had a real opportunity to work with the team at all. I mean, like he was the emergency quarterback, and he was right. basically you know sealed in Saran wrap for most of the season. Like he couldn't he couldn't really engage with anybody. No, that's right. I mean he. He's actually behind even last year's rookie class that he came in with because most of last year's rookies, even if they didn't make the team, they were on the practice squad all year, right? I mean, even Dane Jackson, who did play a little bit, you know, he was on the practice squad. He didn't make the team out of camp. But guys like that, you know, they were around. He wasn't. He had to. He was isolated. He did not throw with regular receivers, 11 on 11. It was basically him after practice with a few separate guys. And, um, yeah, this was kind of his, this was his debut, and they actually build uniform against another opponent even though he was drafted last year. So, you know, I, Sean McDermott talks a lot and talked even last night about people don't realize the challenges Jake faced and how you know, that was tough on him. And for him to be able to come out and, and, and do that last night was special. Talk to me now about Dane Jackson because you just brought him up. So how did you, what did you see from Dane Jackson? What did you think? Not enough yet. Um, and, again, and what I'm looking for Dane is I like Dane Jackson. I think he's a player. He's going to be on this team. I think he's a backup corner. But if he wants to win that starting job, and a lot of people want to, you know, make it, hey, can he take it from Levi Wallace? He has to make flash plays. He has to step up in games. So he didn't do that yesterday. He didn't give up anything necessarily. But I just did the snap count. I don't think he was on the field a ton. But, uh, you know, he's got he's to show us in games that he can take over that job. And it's Levi Wallace's job. I really believe that. You know, if Dane Jackson, for some reason, is able to take it, it's going to be because he plays, like, lights out in preseason. And, that's one of three chances. He had one chance last night. 
he's got another chance next week and then against Green Bay. But, you know, to me, he's going to be a, a, a player on this team who's going to get some time. And maybe as the season goes on, he platoons, he plays more. But I didn't see anything noteworthy, positive or negative from him to, be to change any of my opinion on Dane Jackson right now. Sal, I don't I don't, I'm trying to think back about um, all the conversations that the folks here at the station have had about Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. And I'm trying to think, like, do we have a sense of if they value veteran players more than young players or rookie players? Because I'm, I'm trying, like, I'm thinking of circumstances here where, like, they'll just go and get a dude who's established in the league. Like, of course, they traded for Stephon Diggs, but also they got Emmanuel Sanders. Um, they got Levi Wallace. They went and got Josh Norman. Like, they seem to really like getting guys who have played in the league and are, know how the league functions to fill out these kinds of spots on their team, it feels like. Well, I think the answer to the question now is, there may have been a time, maybe when they started off, that they would favor more of the young guys because they're building the foundation of the roster. I think, you know, they've sprinkled in some veterans here and there to kind of fill in the pieces. But I think now it's just about who's going to help us win football games. You know, this is, they're at a, a point now where they're going to, ch- they want to contend for a championship. This is a Super Bowl caliber roster. And that's what the goal is. The goal is, you know, win a Super Bowl. And now it's not about do we value young guys or older guys. I mean, of course, you have to think about financial impact. And, you know, what you have down the road. A general, a general manager's job, he has to do that. He'd be negligent if he didn't think about that. But really, Corey, I think it's just about who's going to help us win football games now. If there's a tie between a young guy and an older guy, it might be the younger guy because at least you can keep him around, you can develop him. But at the same time, you know, if there's any, if there's any difference, discernible difference between the veteran guy and the younger guy, no longer is it we're going to stick with the younger guy because we're building. Now it's who's going to help us win football games now. So I think you can find all that around the roster. And I'll give you an example. I think – over the last few years, I think since they came aboard, only two actual draft picks have not made the actual 53-man roster. One of them actually was Dane Jackson, who didn't make it, but then he got elevated and played. Mm-hmm. But you know, people say that means draft picks always get the benefit of the doubt. I think that's gone. I don't think they do. If, if a draft pick is good enough, he'll make it. If not, they're going to keep the guy that helps them win football games to try and win a championship now. You know, I, that, you, that you bring it up, that – there had been people talking about, because speaking about the defensive line, who might be the odd man out, and some people would suggest A.J. Epinesa might be the odd man out, even though he was a second-round draft pick, even though he's recent, that because there is just now kind of a crowd in that position, that maybe he might be on the outside looking in and bring it up with Greg Rousseau playing last night, getting a sack, um, and make it, making himself, you know, maybe making a play a little bit, especially with the guy across the field from him who is a, a highly touted draft pick by the Lions. Um, that might be a guy who's kind of in that situation. Yeah, AJ's in a really interesting spot because I think I do go back to, at least in this scenario, that they would say, hey, look, we just invested a second-round pick in him. Obviously, it's not a good look. No one's going to just cut a second-round pick after, you know, one year into, you know, his – his career, one training camp after, one year after, two training camps, and I should say. So I don't think that's the case. But, it, you know, there are a lot of crowded numbers there. I like AJ. I think he's done a really good job. Now, in a case like that, if they really felt, man, you know what, we just got these other guys, and I just don't see a path for him to really carve out a niche on the team, I, I cannot see them at all releasing him. I think then you would try to shop a guy like that. You'd say, can we get something in value for him? He would have to have – some sort of trade value. I'm not suggesting they're doing that with AJ Epinesa, but I agree with your point, which is there are limited numbers here. There are there are guys all who can play, and if he's the guy at the end of the day where they just find on the outside looking in, well, there's only two options then. It's you keep him and 
either bite the bullet and you know release something you don't want to, or keep an extra guy at the position, or you see if he has trade value and he can give you you know draft capital because there's no way they're just going to release this. He just has too much value to just release a second round pick. But I'd say give AJ another couple of weeks here. I like what he's done in the pre, uh, in camp. And I think that he can be a player, and I think he can be a, a real good piece for this team this year. Sal Capaccio joining us on the Wester Hotline here on Sports Talk Saturday. I'm Corey Griswold. Sal, uh, let's get to Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, how did he do? Did you see anything? Did you get enough information from him to kind of make a judgment on where he is? Yeah, I like actually the fact that he had to make a couple of different decisions. And, I, you know, one time the ball was uh, punted a little short. He did a good job of directing traffic, letting it fall. Another time he did a good job ball security. So he kind of got put in situations I wanted to see, and that was really nice. I'm not too worried about Isaiah, but I think that the things that he has to show are ball security and decision-making. And so far, so good. Through one game, he's done that. You know, he's replacing an all-pro return man in Andre Roberts. I don't think anybody expects him to be Andre Roberts in, in decision-making, right? But he's certainly dynamic with the ball in his hand. So as long as he does have the decision-making, as long as he does have that ball security, he'll be fine. You know, Isaiah McKenzie can also add to the offense. We know that. We saw that last year. I think we'll see that again this year. But, you know, um, and, and by the way, Mark Stevenson had a couple of nice-looking punt return or uh, kickoff returns. I thought he did a good job. But it's Isaiah McKenzie's job to lose. And the only way he's going to lose it is if he shows that he, you know, puts the ball on the ground or makes a couple of bad decisions. I thought he did a really nice job being buttoned up well. So. It really is a tough spot um, to be in a position where only bad things can happen. Right, generally speaking, with your job, right? It's a preseason. I've got this gig. The only thing that will make an impact on my career is if I absolutely do the worst possible thing. It's a little bit different than some of the other guys where you have to go out and make a positive play, right? Like you're looking to Agreed. make an impact. Like, like, like we just said with Dane Jackson, right? Like Dane Jackson, not that his job's in danger. I don't think so. But if he wants to be a starter, he's got to he's got to beat out the guy. Right. He's got to beat out Levi Wallace. To be the man, you got to beat the man, right? But I think in a situation like um, Isaiah McKenzie, he just, he, don't screw up. <laughs> it's yours. It's, don't screw up. Don't give them a reason to say, why is he going to be our main return man? So it's certainly a different dichotomy for both players. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, yeah, I think that that's how you have to approach it from those guys. But at the end of the day, I mean, everybody's just trying to do their job to, you know, make the final roster and make the Buffalo Bills better. And I think that they all understand that. And as much as you want to be on the field, you want to be a starter, it's really about, hey, how can I make my team better? And I think that Sean McDermott's done a great job of instilling that type of culture and thought process in this team. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that because there was some news that broke about the Lions after the game last night. And uh, yeah. we, we heard about it just very late in the postgame show about, you know, obviously, you know, I'll ask you about how the Lions approached to the end of the game as well, but also, you know, letting their trainer go immediately after the game. Like, that caught all of us by surprise after the game. Sal, uh, did you, I mean, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear anybody. I didn't see anybody online mention anything about something being amiss uh, on the Lions' sideline. No, no. And, and and so just so everybody knows, it actually happened before the game. We didn't okay. know until after the game. So that's why. All right. There was nothing going on during the game that caused it. Apparently, I read about it this morning a little bit, um, and apparently this was a decision made before the game it just the news did not leak out until after the game. So it wasn't one thing. And I guess the Lions have had several, you know, injuries that have lingered through preseason and training camp. But, you know, um, Dan Campbell said it's not one injury and it's not that. It sounds to me like there's more to it. I don't know. It sounds like there may be a personality thing. He talked about communication was a word he used. These things happen. You know, you have a new regime. Um, I believe the trainer they let go of was the last holdover from the Patriots people that came with 
Matt Patricia a mm-hmm. while ago. And every time, anytime you have that, you might have a real big difference in philosophy on how to treat things. And, you know, maybe Dan Campbell wanted to give it some time to see if they could, you know, get on the same page. If they're not on the same page, well, then they, you know, you have to move in a different direction. So I don't think there was anything incendiary that happened during the game or even necessarily between the two. I just think that it sounds like it's a situation where it was probably brewing for a while. They had some differences of philosophy on how to treat things. Communication wasn't on par with what he wanted. And he basically decided, you know, now is the time to make the move. What did you think about the end of the game there in that situation? I'm not, I, 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 I mean, it's the preseason. It's the game is absolutely irrelevant, but they did have an opportunity to run another play there. And they just decided basically not to do it. Is it important? Is it not important? Um, like, does, does it even matter at all? It just felt weird. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, the Lions gave the Bills an extra at least 30 seconds on the clock with yeah. the way they managed the end of the game. They By throwing the ball and getting out of bounds and then throwing the ball incomplete, they stopped the clock twice on the Bills when the Bills would have used their timeouts. Now, the Bills only had one timeout left. They could have still used it, but they still would have had about 30 seconds roll off another play. And I don't know. I haven't listened to Dan Campbell's postgame. He could very well have legitimate preseason reasons to do what he did. He may have wanted to see an evaluation on something. He said, look, this is a situation. i got to evaluate this particular guy, this particular player, on this particular situation. And I'm totally cool with that. I, I understand that because you can't, you can't predict or put your team in a certain situation you want all the time in preseason games. So you got to, when they come up, you've got to say, okay, this is our chance. But if he wanted his team to win in any respect, which I think you want to win when the scoreboard is, here's a scoreboard, I mean, if that was a regular season game, that guy would be getting absolutely roasted for how he managed the clock at the end. You said it in the broadcast that the Sean McDermott has to be happy because he got an opportunity to run a two-minute drill with both sides of his team with the defense yep. having to stop the Lions, and then they got the ball back, and they got to run one with the offense. And, like, you know, Sean McDermott, you've been covering him. Like, he doesn't waste opportunities like that. Like, it's a, it's a game situation. We're going to run it like a game situation. Like, let's practice protocol. Like, let's practice protocol here. That is concerning if you're a Lions fan to see, like, here's an opportunity to run a protocol, and they just decide, nah, it doesn't, whatever, it's just kind of wherever. We've all seen bad game management here as Bills fans over the over the course of our lives. We know what it looks like. And, Sal, that looked like bad game management. I agree with you. And, and I don't know, again, I, I, if he had a reason, I, he could talk me into a reason because it is preseason. He could say, look, I, we, had, we wanted to have a certain number of passes for our quarterback that we wanted to get to, and we didn't care about the score. We didn't care. But, you know, isn't it preseason for – I mean, I know he's actually been an interim coach before, but working on clock management is, is a good skill for him to have in preseason. It's a good skill for him to work on. It's a good thing for him to practice with his team. And it just seemed really, really weird. So I'd like to know what went into the thought process. But good point on Sean McDermott. He told us in the, in the radio production meeting the day before, he said, I want to see us in these situations. I hope we get a two-minute situation we have to be in. And he got that on both sides of the ball. Um, he said he actually hoped there was a turnover situation to see how his team reacted to. We didn't get that, right? But maybe that's going to happen next week. But, yeah, Sean is all about having certain situations come up that they can go through and they can see how his team reacts, and then they can go back and look and say, where, where were we good, where were we not so good? And he got a lot of that last night. He wasn't great at clock management when he was just getting started with the Bills, and he's grown in that position. He's gotten better at managing a game, and the Bills now, they are pretty reliable in that circumstance, and it was not easy for them to do. It was that practice 
that they, he really grew as a head coach. He's we've seen it. I haven't I haven't really ever heard him talk about it, but like I've seen enough evidence to see him grow. Have you ever heard him talk about yeah. his own process of being a better reflective coach, like trying to be a better game manager? Yeah, he's talked about it, and he's talked about how you know over the years he's learned, and, and they, they go back. They, they they did a really good job. They have a analytics department. And they have a video staff that they'll go and they'll look at other situations around the league. And they'll talk about what would we do here? What should we do differently? What if we get in this situation? Look at their own. They, they self-scout a lot. Right? He has said, he has been reflective on that. But that's the thing that matters that, you know, his team is a lot different now. There's not as much risk, maybe, if you will, if you want to put it that way, of, you know, you're not trying to win games of running the ball and playing defense now that you have Josh Allen, this super high-powered offense. I mean, they went for a fourth and one on their own side of the field last night. Pretty deep, too, by the way. I mean, you know, that was another interesting thing that they did. So, yeah, and he's talked about it, and I think he knows that he has grown, but I think it's, it, it's, a, lot of, um, it's a lot of self-scouting during the season, the off-season, all that kind of stuff that goes into it. Sal Capaccio joining us on his return leg of the trip to, uh, out to Detroit. The Bills play against the Bears next Saturday on the road. You will have an opportunity to go and visit the Windy City and do the sideline gig one more time. Sal, thank you for joining us and making the time for us on a Saturday. We really appreciate it. All right, anytime, brother. Have a good show. Sal Capaccio there on the Western Hotline. Uh, we will be now free and clear to take your phone calls and talk sports with you. Uh, 803-0550, 1-888-552-550, if you are so inclined, here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Odyssey is your new home for all the audio that matters to you. Download the Odyssey app today to listen to WGR Sports Radio 550. Brought to you by Geico. Local office, West Seneca. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. All right. It's true. It is the weekend. Just vaporwave vibes coming out of your radio right now. On a Saturday, I'm Corey Griswold. 12.31 is the time. It's Sports Talk Saturday. TJ Luckman along uh, as your DJ. We will be here with you until 2 o'clock. Just had Sal Capaccio. You'll be able to hear that on the Odyssey app and on uh, line on our website uh, for your listening pleasure talking about the Bills game uh, yesterday uh, against the Detroit Lions, the Ralph Wilson Memorial Classic. Uh, It seems like the Bills and Lions play that game every year. They probably should. I mean, just make it a thing. Like, I think it'd be cool to make it a thing, honestly. I I think they've only, like, in my lifetime, they've only not played the Lions one time. And I want to say that, well, two times technically. And that definitely last year since there was no preseason. But I want to say that in 2019, it was the first time in, like, recent memory that the Bills did not play the Lions for the last preseason game of the preseason right that was like a traditional thing mm-hmm. it wasn't a thing like you're an official thing like you're suggesting but it certainly felt that way right I mean it was an informal thing and a lot of it had to do with you know Ralph Wilson's connections to that city I'm sure and just because it's like you know they're close by it's easy that's sure and we don't they don't play each other generally speaking in the regular season unless it's like every four years so you're not really worried about like anything of that nature. Like, yeah, re- real easy. But like, go ahead and make it a thing. Just be like, yeah, it's the you know Bills play Detroit every year in the preseason. Here it is, there it is, Ralph Wilson. And if you want to make it like the Wilson Ford Classic for the Ford family too, like that's yeah, absolutely. Why not? Just have show a little character. We need more preseason cups in the NFL. Like like how uh, soccer has the Community Shield, which is like it's it's a it's a trophy but it's not anything the teams are taking too seriously they're right. not sending their their best teams most teams treat it like a preseason thing Side the bets. nfl needs to to add something like that to college really, football has it yeah right like spice up 
you want to find a way to spice up the preseason, add trophies. Add meaningless trophies. What should the trophy? <laughs> what should the All right, no. I'm going to say I'm going to save it for the next segment cuz I I'm going to ask you what the trophy should be for a Bills Lions Cup. But uh here I wanted to bring something up that Sal uh brought mentioned tangentially and I want to kind of explore the space with it. He mentioned how the Bills and Jake Fromm and the and that fourth quarter drive like they went for it. Like it was fourth down, he had to make a throw, he made a throw. I, when Sal was saying that, in my mind, I was thinking, like, yeah, they can basically get a first down on any play. That's the nature of their offense is that that's that explosive. Okay, great. Now I'm thinking about Josh Allen because part of Josh Allen is his mentality. That's a huge part of who he is as an athlete. And the next step for me, for Josh Allen as an athlete, is for him to recognize when it's time to not be Josh Allen, when he doesn't go and lay himself out, when he doesn't place himself at risk, when he throws the ball away, honestly, when he quits on a play, just throw it out of bounds, man. Just eject. And the fact that you can get a first down at any at any down, doesn't matter what the down and distance is, right? Like you can just get it because you have the tools and you have the weapons to do so. So when it's second and six and you're dropping back and the pocket is collapsing and something has gone wrong, just ditch it, dude. Just throw it away and move on to third and six because you can pick up a third and six. Like, just go. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to, like, tuck it and run. You don't have to take the hit. Stop taking the hit. The next stage of Josh Allen's evolution is to not take the hit. Now, if you have a clear wide opening and you feel like you can break it downfield, fine. I get it. We were... not Slide, please. Thank you. Great. We love the slide. But, like, if you feel like... I, I, if I just stay in the pocket, I'm going to take a hit in my chest and I'm going to break two ribs, but I know I can get eight yards here. Like, get eight yards later. You can get eight yards later. You're that good now. That's The offense has proven that. Throw it away. Like, just quit on the play. Just get, get it out of here. That's what I'm waiting to see. That's Josh Allen's next step for me. Like, last season, it was there was a lot. It was, can you throw a football? That was a very big step for Josh Allen last year. And yes, he can. He can throw it with accuracy at all parts of the field. Fantastic. That was a huge development because he couldn't before. He couldn't throw the deep ball at all. If he was trying to throw it at the hospitality tent, he'd miss it. Like, he was not good. Now, last year, great. Fantastic. Worked hard on it. Totally reevaluated how he threw a football and changed his motions and everything went great. Great. So now the next step is to change his psychological recognition of I do not have to get killed here to make a play. I can just boop. You know, um, discretion is the better part of valor, man. Like that's the next step. The thing that allows Tom Brady to play until he's 48 is that, right? Dude just doesn't get hit. So he remains relatively healthy. He's not Peyton Manning, who had his arm basically become non-functional because of the abuse he took. Like, Tom Brady has not taken physical abuse in his career. That's why he is able to do what he is doing. That's why he can win a Super Bowl at his age. Josh Allen has to not take abuse. Which is hard, because the skill set he has puts him in a position to take abuse. And he's got to navigate away from that. And like, if you, the the, uh, I, the prime example for that right now is Ben Roethlisberger, who is physically shot as a quarterback, just totally toast, can't physically do the task anymore. And it's because he got the snot kicked out of him as a quarterback. 
You're starting to see that in Cam Newton a little bit too. And which is heartbreaking mm-hmm. because Cam Newton was so exciting, so invigorating, such a great athlete to watch. Yep. And through, I think, malfeasance on the part of the league, his body was destroyed. Guys would tee off on him clearly hitting him in ways that would draw flags on other quarterbacks. But never him. Never him, because he was a big, strong dude. He can take it. And now look at him. All of those hits have added up. And because Cam Newton is the kind of guy he is, he was never, he was, I'm sure he let the refs know, but he was never going to sit a play out. He was never going to not go for it. He doesn't dodge that. And like it's now it's at the point where he's not as fun to watch. And now me, as someone who cares about watching fun things doesn't have a fun dude to watch there anymore. Like, the great. The league took something fun away from me. They do that enough. I don't need them to do that with actual physical players' talent. So, trusting that the league is not going to save you in those situations, Josh Allen, slide or throw it away. Preserve yourself. Because as fun and exciting as it is to see you run 20 yards out and dodge a couple of dudes and then get to have three dudes hit you later... What's more fun is watching you throw a ball 20 yards in the air on a different play and to be able to do that deep into your career. That's more fun. So, yes, it was great to see you leap a linebacker in your rookie season and be like, wow, he can do that? I'm glad that you can do that. I don't want you to because I don't want you to get hurt. Like, that's, I want you to be smart. Like, that's the last part, the last jigsaw of Josh Allen is can he be smart? Can he not get involved in himself? Can he not, you know, get become the hyperactive golden retriever and get himself into trouble on the football field, right? Can he not just be overwhelmed in the moment? Can he stay cool? Can he stay smart? Can he not press? Can he play within himself? All these things. And a big part of that, honestly, throw it away. Ditch it. The play's toast. Like, Cody Ford has his arms raised, and there is a Patriot going right past him. That ball needs to be in the stands immediately. Get it out of here. Just be like... Nope. Boom. We'll get it back next time. But it's second and seven, and now it's third and seven. Oh, that's a shame. I don't, it's, a, it's a problem that we don't have any wide receivers who can run an eight-yard pattern. Like, no, that's not a thing. It is not a thing anymore. On previous Bills teams, you did not have an offense that could string that together. You would get into third and long, and you were dead. That is not the Bills' problem this year. The Bills can do that, and it has to translate into preserving your quarterback, to preserving his health and safety, and honestly, preserving the health and safety of the other guys on the field. That's blocking that your wide receivers don't have to do. That's less blocking that your offensive line has to do. The quicker you quit on those plays, the faster he can identify, like, nope, not working, and eject, is the sooner the play stops and the sooner that wear and tear just evaporates and you move on to the next play. You save guys' energy. You save his own personal reliability. Like, yes, sometimes broken plays can lead to big plays for you, but you got to be smart about it. And not every single play, that's going to happen. And Tom Brady's intelligence tells him that we have a better shot of getting to the end zone on plays we have designed and executed well than we do on a breakdown. So I will get out of this play, we will go on to the next play, and we will execute better, and we will... Our offense will run more optimally when we execute better. The Bills, I don't think, have done that all the time. That's up to Allen. Allen's got to be the guy to do that. And that's his next step. And that that's just, 
it's maturity. That's smarts. That's comfort. And honestly, I feel like that's what's coming next. For That's the next logical step. Last year was about like, oh, man, are we really this good? Are we doing it? Are we doing the thing? Okay, good. We have done the thing. We've established it's the thing. Now it's time to establish like, okay, now it's time to do we belong in the stratosphere? Do we look like not only that we have the talent to be at the top level of being a quarterback in the NFL, but like, nah, man, we got it. Right? Like, look at the other guys on the field that he's playing with. There's Patrick Mahomes, who is a magician to a level that no one else in the NFL is at making something out of nothing. And it caught up to him last year. And he got hurt. And he was hurt playing in the Super Bowl. And it clearly hindered him. And he was just being attacked left and right and annihilated. It's caught, it caught up to him. Like, it was fun for a little bit, but it is catching up to Mahomes. So he is also a guy who should probably learn to do that. You have Aaron Rodgers, who's an old man himself. But Rodgers will, he doesn't throw it away. He will just try to throw it as hard as he can at his receiver and just miss. Like, that's what Rodgers does. He doesn't give up on plays, but he doesn't get hit. He gets the ball out. He tries to make a play happen, and it doesn't happen. For Allen, either either what either way is fine with me. I would I. It seems like when Allen tries to do the Rodgers thing, it ends up in the hands of a different team. So honestly, just like put it in the stands. Stands are fine. We'll take the stands. I want you to throw it in the hospitality tent. That's what I'm asking. This time, I want you to do it. Because we are trying to get rid of the football. Don't do it when you're not supposed to do it. But do it when you are supposed to do it. It's a subtle art playing quarterback in the NFL. It's the hardest thing to do probably in professional sports. Is to know when you are supposed to throw it so far into the stands that it pegs somebody in the head who wasn't paying attention to the game. Like that is the art of playing quarterback in the NFL. I just can't believe we've come full circle on this to now wanting the ball to be into the hospitality tent. See, this is uh, this is the it's, story arc that we're building here, the hero's journey of Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. So, um, generally speaking, that is where I want to see Josh Allen go next. And we will only see it when we get to the regular season. We're not going to see it in the preseason. So, like, I don't, whatever, I don't care. Uh, the only place to go now is to get to the season, actually get to football, and to see Josh Allen be smart with it. I mean, I'm, I am I think that will get there. I don't know. That's a hard thing. It's not like a mechanic. It's not like everybody coming up to you and saying, like, you need to fix this part of your throw, and then to go back and watch, like, yeah, I really need to fix that part of my throw, and then you go do it. It's different when it's your instinct telling you that you should be doing something and you shouldn't. Like, it's part of your personality. It's part of your nature. That's a much harder thing to rewire. So that it will take time. And like, honestly, Tom Brady's a psychopath. Like he is just a pure apex predator on the football field to the point where I am concerned about his ability to reintegrate himself with society in general when he is no longer playing football. He is a maniac when it comes to being a competitor. And he throws the ball away. He gives up on plays. Like, it does not at all affect his competitive nature or his just absolutely burning with rage desire to win football games. He recognizes, like, oh, this play isn't the thing that matters. What matters is that we reach the end zone. And if this play is interfering with that, I will get, I will murder this play dead. They won't even know where to find the body. Like, that is how he approaches it. I need Allen to be that lethal. 
to recognize like, oh, this play has now become a problem. And what happens to problems is that they go away, right? Like that's what I want them to sound like. So that's the next evolution of Josh Allen. We'll see if he can get there. Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back on the other side, uh, we'll talk more sports with you, with me, Corey Griswold and TJ Luckman here on WGR Sports Radio 550. No matter what music you love or when you love to listen, Odyssey's new exclusive stations, including Tailgate Crashers and Arena Rock, are expertly curated for sports listeners like you. Introducing hundreds of new exclusive music stations available now only on Odyssey. John Murphy of the Buffalo Bills Radio Network there calling a highlight from Bills Lions 2019? 2017. 2017. Preseason, last game of the season, August 31st. Jonathan Williams makes it 10 to nothing in the first quarter. Breaking it wide open. Wide open. Uh, so we've been... TJ and I, uh, Sports Talk Saturday, by the way. Uh, TJ Luckman, Corey Griswold here with you on WGR Sports Radio 550 for a couple more minutes in this break, and then we'll get you all the way to 2 o'clock. So we had been talking briefly uh, about the Bills and Lions playing all the time in the preseason and how they should just make it a thing. Like, just always have the Bills and Lions play in the preseason. That's fine. It's not an issue um, because nobody cares about the preseason. Just always kind of have them be a thing and, like, give it a name. Like, if you want to call it the Ralph Wilson uh, Memorial Tournament or, like, the Wilson Ford Memorial Game or something like that, okay, you can call them all bulls, like the college football bulls that aren't actually championships. Absolutely. Um, the foundation bowl. And you just have both foundations. Just, But, like, if you need a trophy for that. So, now, we need to figure out what would the trophy be for a, a Buffalo-Detroit, basically, community shield, so to speak. Something you play every year. Now, here's the thing. I don't want... I'm not interested in looking at the worst aspects of these cities. That's not what I want to do. This is not an opportunity to take a shot at Detroit or to take a shot at Buffalo, all right? Get lost, pal, okay? We are pro Great Lakes on Sports Talk Saturday, okay? It is the it's now it is. The official position of Sports Talk Saturday is that the Great Lakes should form its own independent republic. But other than that, how are you going to represent both of these cities in one trophy because they're not the same? Like, obviously Detroit has, like, stuff that is associated with it. Like, it's giving people some of the best music the United States has to offer in its history in Motown. It's also got cars. But what does Buffalo have? Buffalo has, apparently, appetizers. But it also is, you know, a city that is pretty industrious and has stuck around through a lot. What is it that brings these two places together that they have in common that they would want to have a trophy that goes along with it? There's obviously the lakes itself, right? If you want to call it like the Lake Erie trophy or something like that, because Detroit, does Detroit consider itself Lake Huron or Lake Erie? It's by both. I'm not, I'm not certain about that, but I was going in a different regional direction with this in my brain. What, how were you thinking about it? I was thinking both Detroit and Buffalo are Rust Belt cities, mm-hmm. so you have a giant rusted belt buckle as the trophy okay so see this is what i mean right like what do they have in common see i'm thinking of like okay they're in the great lakes region they have that in common you're like a manufacturing center in america like you could probably like just a a massive steel hammer 
right? Okay. Like something like that. Yep. Um, something that, like a, a huge gear or something like that, right? Like something that talks about industry or something in these cities. Um, man, I, I, somebody might say, it's like, yeah, well, we used to be that way, but not anymore. Dude, I'm hearing ads on the radio for steel plants in Buffalo asking people if they're interested in switching careers. So, like, if I'm hearing advertisements for that in 2021, I don't think Buffalo's given up that part of that part of its identity yet. IWJR, what's your That's name? wild that I can still, like, hear that. Mike, where are you calling from? Uh, 1255 is the time on WGR. I'm Corey Griswold, TJ yeah, Luckman in the other from? room. He'll be taking your phone calls because he's the yeah, first guy who from? answers your phone. Uh, 803 is the number. Uh, we have another hour with you here on right, WGR sure Sports Radio 550. Thanks for listening in. Oh, am I talking on the air? That's cool. Yeah, we were just reading <laughs> the phone calls on I'll the air. You got a caller. I'll tell you that much. Hooray, I have a caller. <laughs> uh, Mike, hang on the line. We'll get to you right after the break at the top of the hour, right here on WGR.